Well, I just need to admit up front today that this won't be this won't be a normal sermon for us. As as I had mentioned, we had planned on having Mark come and preach for us today, but Plan B became Plan A. So I quickly regrouped this morning or this uh, yesterday and and am ready to preach. Don't feel sorry for me, because all preachers must be ready, right? We need to be ready at the drop of a hat. So I'm thankful for the opportunity. And the Lord in His sovereignty has given me the opportunity, really, to, to preach this morning, and I think you'll see why. My biggest question yesterday, as I thought about it, was what, was, what should I preach, considering I was going to start the Foundations of Grace series next week? But what I've decided to do is preach what I'm calling a, a prelude to the Foundations of Grace series. You might call it in, in movie vernacular, you might call it a prequel. Although a prequel usually comes after the fact, right? But I, I want to preach, I want to get set the stage and set the table for next week, really, is what I'm trying to do and want to do. I believe that Phil Sermon, and from Malachi 1 last week, uh, was on the nature of true worship really was a, a prelude as well to uh, this Foundations of Grace series. And if you have not heard his sermon, I urge you to go and listen to it on online, on the podcast or on Facebook. On, on January 20th, Mark will actually, he's planning to come at that point, as Jonathan mentioned, and he will be preaching on the importance of our commitment to the church and the work of Christ in building his church. So as you can tell, we're going to spend the next few weeks considering the ministry of the local church, but specifically, more specifically, the ministry of Grace Bible Church. Now, I sat down yesterday to write a sermon, but what came out was primarily what God has placed on my heart regarding the local church and its purpose. Now, most of you, many of you may remember that last year we spent the entire fall, mostly the entire fall, looking at the church and Scripture. We labored to understand the purpose of the church from Scripture and to lay a solid foundation for Grace Bible Church. Now, admittedly, admittedly, we may have lost sight of the forest for the trees at times. But I hope that we emerge from that study with a better understanding of God's purpose for the church. And, what I'm, and I'm hopeful that we can build upon that study over the next few weeks. Now, I've spent the past 24 hours thinking about the difference between that series last year, the, the, the series on the purpose of the church, and the Foundations of Grace series that we're going to go through in the, over the next few weeks. I want to quickly sum up that difference. Last year, I tried to build for us a biblical foundation for the church. A biblical foundation for the church. This focused more on the scriptural concept of the church. Is that that mine? Siri wants to interrupt me. I tried to build a biblical foundation for the church last year. And this focused more on the scriptural conception of the church and how the church fits into God's plan of redemption. The goal then of the Foundations of Grace series is to take these scriptural concepts of the church that we learned and apply them directly to 
Grace Bible Church. Said another way, that series was largely descriptive of the church. Largely descriptive of what the Bible says about the purpose of the church. While the Foundations of Grace series will largely be prescriptive. Prescriptive. In other words, what we believe about the church from Scripture drives our philosophy of ministry at Grace Bible Church. And our philosophy of ministry then drives our ministry at ground level. Said another way, our ministries need to fit into our philosophy of ministries. Are we flat? Won't do it. Does that make sense? So it, what's, what's happening here is we're building, we're building a foundation. The foundation is, is that we looked at last year how the church fits into God's redemptive plan. We looked at what the, the church is from a scriptural point of view. We labored to do so. This year, this, this time, in this series, we're going to now establish, based on that truth, those truths, we're going to establish this is our philosophy of ministry. So that as we move forward in, in ministry, we'll look back at the philosophy of ministry and we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll evaluate ministries based on what the scriptures say. And, and our philosophy of ministry. So that, that, that way we're not going and doing things that are not fruitful. That's the hope. That's the hope. You should be asking why we would take time to do this. You may think, well, we're all on the same page, right? We all sit in these same chairs. We all come to the same church. But the truth is, the the the. the sad truth is, is that very few of us clearly understand the purpose of the church. Very few of us. Therefore, we are divided on how we view the church. That's not a, that's not a shot across the bow. That's just the truth. If I asked 20 of you why the church exists, I would probably get 48 different answers. Because we all have our background. We all have what we've learned. We all have what we've seen. And I want, what I want to do is try to set forth a direction where we can all be generally on the same page. If we can't agree on why we exist, then, then we, we will not be able to articulate our philosophy of ministry. And we can't act on something that we can't explain. It's as simple as that. If I can't, if I can't explain why we exist, if I can't explain why we do what we do, then I can't act upon it. So then I'm doing willy-nilly whatever I want to do. And the judges would say it this way, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if this is truly the case, and I believe it is, then there's much opportunities for hurt feelings as we move forward as a church. If, we're all, if we all have different ideas about the church and why it exists and why we do what we do, if, we, if we're not on that same page, if we all have different ideas, then there's... Ample opportunity for hurt feelings. I think we've already seen some of that. Let me take some time then to help you understand what I'm saying by looking at some of the faulty views of the church. Then we will study the biblical view of the church and really that will form a review of, of what we learned last year. Now, if you were to survey Christians, now I'm not talking about just in this room, but in general, about the purpose of the church, you will get many answers, but I believe you could summarize most of them in three main categories. Three main categories for the church. The first one would be the church exists primarily for 
caring for the needy, social issues. The church is here to, to take care of social issues, things in the society, problems in the society. Two, second primary category would be the church exists primarily to evangelize the lost. Some people would say that the church is here primarily to go to the, to the lost and dying world. The third category would be that the church exists primarily to edify the saints. See the difference? One says that we're here to, to go to the lost, and that's what we do. The other says we're here to, to evangelize the lost, to go to the, to go to the lost. I'm sorry, the, the one says that we're going to go to the lost, the other says we're here to edify the saints. And others, and others say we're here to, to help social issues. Now, <clears throat> what you need to understand is all of these are true to some extent. Biblically, you can, you can make an argument for all these. Yet if you hold one over the other, and, and over the other, there's much room for conflict, especially if somebody else disagrees, right? If I believe that the church primarily is for evangelism, and you believe it's primarily for edification of the saints, we're going to, we're going to be at odds, if, unless we understand how those come together. And that's what I hope to be able to, to show you. Actually, there wouldn't be much, if, we, if we're in that position, there won't be much agreement over the mission of the church. So let's look at these views separately. Let's, let's try to understand them separately. Now, I would say that these progress from the more blatant error to the error that really hits closer to the truth. The first is that the church primarily exists to care for the needy. Some Christians believe that we're here primarily for social issues. They believe that we should be trendy and start ministries to help the poor and needy. Now, as examples, we could open a soup kitchen to feed the hungry. We could open a a shelter to house the homeless. We could open a transition facility to help people get on their feet after jail time. We could open a rehab facility for the drug addicted. We could even open a pregnancy center. After all, People need to survive so that they will be able to consider the weightier issues of the gospel or even attend church. You get that point. I mean, if a person is homeless, it's hard for them to to go to church. And and that's what people would focus on. You know, again, how can they focus on the weightier matters when they can't care for themselves or even drug addicted or struggling in and out of jail? In other words, people in this camp would say we need to give them physical food and shelter and care for their other physical needs before we can give them spiritual food. Beloved, all of these are good things. All of these are good things. And they're needful in our society. But I hope that you can see the error of focusing on physical needs without the gospel as our beginning point. Mez McConnell is the senior pastor of Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland. He's active in planting churches in poor areas. His ministry has planted seven churches in the past 11 years. McConnell bluntly states, now now remember where he's coming from, he's planting churches in poor areas in Scotland. And he says this, now he's blunt, so take take this with, you know, understanding that. He says this, You're an idiot if you don't get that mercy ministry and showing the love of Jesus is preaching the gospel. 
You can't separate the two. You have to have the gospel. The gospel has to be the foundation of all mercy ministry is his point. He goes on to say this about mercy ministries. Most mercy ministries, now when he says mercy ministries, he's talking about uh, you know, soup kitchens, shelters, transition facilities, those type of ministries. Most mercy ministries in most churches in the Western world need to be closed down because they're not helping the poor at all. They're doing the reverse. They're helping middle class Christians feel good about themselves because they think they're showing the love of Jesus to poor people by opening a soup kitchen or giving them a handout, but they're certainly not help they're really not helping anyone. Not in the long term, and certainly not in a biblical fashion. End quote. In other words, McConnell believes that our focus is all wrong. That when, we, that, that when we focus on mercy ministry as being what we do, that's the wrong focus. We're more focused on putting salve on our consciences than truly helping those in need. Clearly, clearly, I think all of us would agree, that if we participate in these types of ministries without preaching the gospel first, then our focus is completely wrong. And I doubt any of you are, are guilty of believing that, right? I doubt that any of you would believe that it's we should just go and, and give people food without giving them the gospel. I doubt that that's where you're at. But let me challenge you with something even further. We can miss the mark even when we put the gospel first. Now, now wait a minute before you shoot your arrows. Wait a minute before you call me a heretic. Let me explain. If we are content to drive into poor areas to share the gospel and give a helping hand, then we get into our cars and drive back to our middle to upper class houses and neighborhoods without a plan to disciple those people. Once they become Christians, we are really not helping them at all. In other words, poor people need the local church just as much as middle and upper class people. And beloved, we have failed and are failing in that regard. Both need the church to function according to God's intended purposes. We shouldn't feed the hungry without evangelizing them, getting them saved. But we must also have a plan to teach them the deep things about the deep things of God, who say the God who saved them, right? If we don't if we don't we're not helping them ultimately. We're just leaving them where they're at. Mez McConnell, he says this. In mercy ministries, so listen, he says this. In mercy ministries, 50 homeless people show up at your soup kitchen or your food pantry, but whatever you want to call it. You're handing out food and maybe you chat to a couple of them about Jesus. It's high five. 50 people came last night. We're a roaring success. But next week, the same 50 guys come. And six months later, it's the same 50 guys. Twelve months, two years. I was in soup kitchens for six years. I know the drill. The same people are coming and they're not being helped to move on. End quote. Beloved, the church does not primarily exist to physically help the needy. It's not what we're here for. There's no doubt that these types of ministries are good. But they do not form the purpose of the local church. And frankly, we can't simply add the gospel to mercy ministry to make it more biblical. It must be much more than that. 
We have to remember, we have to remember that these people, that everyone needs to, that comes to Christ, that is, everyone that comes to Christ needs to be in a local church. They need to be learning theology. And we can't dumb it down thinking that they need it less than the middle to upper class. It's the wrong focus. Let's look at the second reason why people think that churches exist. So we've seen the first one. It exists primarily to help the needy. The second is that the local church exists primarily for evangelism. Now notice I'm saying primarily. Again, this is, this is we're talking about what the primary focus is. In this view, the primary purpose of the church is to draw the unchurched to the Christian faith. This view is the other side of the coin from simply providing a mercy ministry. It is the, it is, it is the heart then, this view is the heart of the seeker-sensitive church movement. You know, the one that's, that Rick Warren and, and Robert Schuller and Bill Hybels championed. In those churches, in these types of churches, those churches who feel that reaching the lost is the ultimate purpose, that they... Everything the church does, from preaching to worship to the layout of the campus to the design of their buildings, is determined by the felt needs and desires of the unchurched, or said another way, unbelievers. As Christians who are already in the club, then, so you and I are already in the club. As Christians who are already in the club, our job is to do anything and everything to make the church a place where they feel welcome and comfortable. Listen to this quote by Rick Warren. Once you know your target, unbelievers, and I'm, I'm adding that, once you know your target, unbelievers, it will determine many of the components of your seeker service, music style, message topics, creative arts, and more. Warren goes on to say, <clears throat> It is my deep conviction that anybody can be one to Christ if you discover the key to his or her heart. The most likely place to start is the, with the person's felt needs. End quote. Now, really, this attitude is the culmination of the theology of Charles Finney, who is the father of the altar call, and believed that he could win anyone to Christ. He, he said, if you give me five minutes, I can win anyone to Christ. And Robert Schuller who focused on the felt needs of humanity, and, and then Rick Warren. So Rick Warren took the theology of Finney and others, and, and he took the theology of, of Robert Schuller and he put it all together, and he created this, this church growth move, or this, um, this pragmatic uh, understanding of the church. Now, I, I'm sure that you can see the error in this thinking. You might be saying, I believe, that, I believe the church should focus on evangelism, so you might be in the evangelism camp because you might be, you might be gifted that way. But Warren and Hybels obviously, and others obviously take it too far. And clearly, if we go down their road, if we go down the road that they say we should go down, then we need to listen to unbelievers to arrange the church. And this would affect every part of our ministry, from music to preaching to our outreach. It certainly, if we listen to what unbelievers have to say, it certainly wouldn't look like this. 
It wouldn't, we wouldn't gather and, and do what we're doing right now. You wouldn't sit up here, you wouldn't let me sit up here and, and drone on for 60 minutes, right? That wouldn't happen if we listened to what unbelievers. We probably would have music that's, that's more trendy. It'd make the church look a lot more like the world, right? And we see that. We see that if we go to some churches, it's more like a rock concert. It's more like, it's more like going to ACDC than it is going to church. An ACDC concert. Not that I've ever been to one. I really haven't. <laughs> but that's just by circumstance. But as, as Charles Spurgeon states, as Charles Spurgeon states, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And again... The church, which the world likes best, is sure to be that which God abhors. Did you get that? The church, if we set the church up to look like what unbelievers want, if we say we're going we're gonna to take a poll, we're going to go around to the different houses, and we're going to say we're going to find out what people in this community want in the church, and we set it up that way, then, then what we're doing is, is that, yes, we, the, we, we would draw a crowd. Anyone can draw a crowd. Anyone can bring people in the doors. The question is, is that it, what, what is the church supposed to look like? If we do it that way, what, what Spurgeon is saying is, is that the, the, the one that the world likes best is the one that God abhors or hates. That's, that was a hundred years before the church growth movement. Maybe, maybe longer, right? That he said that. Now, you could see the error in this type of thinking and still believe the purpose of the church is primarily evangelism. But I want to, I want to warn you. I want to warn you. The danger of this type of thinking is building a church that is a mile wide and an inch deep. Again, we can't evangelize the lost without teaching them the deep things about the God who saved them. It has to be both. You can't, you can't bring... You can't bring new believers into the fold and not disciple them. It has to, we have to have both. The results of not equipping new believers has been disastrous in the church. I mean, go, go have a conversation with, with just any Christian on the street. And by and large, what you're going to find is, is there is a shocking, shocking lack of understanding of who God is. Shocking. And it's been disastrous. The church, I'm going to, let me just say it this way, the church in America has become ineffective in its mission because it is producing ineffective and inept Christians. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Let's look at the third primary view. So some people believe that, it's, that the church primarily exists to help the needy. Some people believe that the church primarily exists for evangelism. Third, some people believe that the church primarily exists for or to edify the saints. Now, most of you will identify with this view because it's closer to the priorities of Scripture. But I believe that this view can still miss the mark in some significant ways. I, I actually believe that this is a struggle for churches like ours. 
and and is an issue in a city like Gainesville. As Tim, Tim Challey states, now get this, I think this is a profound statement. In large degree, this view simply repackages the consumerism of, of the seeker-sensitive movement with a new target audience, so that the perceived needs of Christians becomes the ultimate determining factor for all that the church does. End quote. In other words, you become the consumers. You, as Christians, you become the consumers. And the church exists primarily to fulfill your needs and to make you happy. This attitude attitude really fits into our consumer-driven culture. Where my focus is on what I need, what I get, and what makes me feel good. Inevitably, now let's take this to its end. Inevitably, this leads to unhappiness and dissatisfaction because there is absolutely no church which can make any one person happy. There's no church that exists. You will not step foot in any church that will make you happy in and of itself. It, it, it does not exist. There will always be something wrong. Preacher preaches too long, people aren't friendly. You could go down the list. There's always going to be something wrong. It's not going to make one person happy, much less many. It's not about that, brothers and sisters. And inevitably, this leads to unhappiness and dissatisfaction because there's no church that can do this, that can make you happy. And I also believe it leads to the buffet approach to church. You know what the buffet approach to church is? I can't get everything that I want from one church, especially if it's small and cannot fulfill my needs. So I go to multiple sources for that fulfillment. I take a little of this and a little of that, but at the end of the day, I stuff myself with bread and pasta without any real sustenance. Think about that. I go here and I go there. But ultimately, I'm stuffing myself with things that don't matter as much, that, are, that don't give me as much sustenance. Sometimes, many times, well-meaning Christians can fall into this trap out of necessity. As an example, the teaching at your church is not deep enough, so you find teachers who can fill the gap. This is commendable, right? It may be necessary in some situations, right? If, if you're not getting what you need where you're at and there's no other opportunities to get what you need, you, you have to do what you have to do. I mean, I understand that. But, we, let me, but get this. We cannot expect to grow the way God intends us to grow without the full engagement of the local church. Without the full engagement. Everything. That's why we want to commit to the local church. Growth and knowledge without an avenue to live out what we have learned with accountability from others does us no good. Growth and knowledge without an avenue to live out what we have learned with accountability does us no good. Let me illustrate. You can learn a sport to play a sport such as golf by watching videos and read, or reading books. But you will never become proficient at it without others watching and helping you see what you can't see. 
And it is especially helpful for someone to teach you who knows what they're doing, right? They, t- they bring you along and they say, here, let me show you. Let me, let me show you what you're doing wrong. Let me help you do what's right. Let me just say it this way. You could go, without these things, you can go to a driving range and hit 10,000 balls. But you will just cement the things you are doing wrong without the help of others. It's the same way in the Christian life, brothers and sisters. If you don't have the help of others, if you don't have others looking at your life, it may hurt. They may be wrong. Whatever. But if you don't have others in your life helping you to to live the Christian life, you will not grow the way God has intended for you to grow as a Christian. We need others in our lives, other Christians in our lives, learning and growing with us. We need to be around men and women who God has especially gifted to help us live the Christian life. Therefore, we need to be a part of a solid, mature local church which is carrying out God's purposes for it. But there's an even greater danger of an overemphasis on meeting needs and desires of Christians. It leads the church to neglect the Great Commission and saps her zeal for reaching the lost. Churches that lean this direction aim to make their focus faithfulness or discipleship, but often these words simply cover up a lack of evangelistic zeal. It has been said that without the Great Commission, a church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. That's not. I didn't say that, but... Tim as Tim Challies puts, puts it, we don't need to look far to find many examples of churches that are full of well-taught Christians who have not seen someone saved in far too long. Beloved, this is the main danger for our church. We are so involved with discipleship, which is, don't get me wrong, is a fantastic thing. We have to, we have to grow in Christ. It has to be that way. We're, but we get so involved with that that we forget to take the gospel to the lost. And before we know it, we become an us for and no more type of church. Brethren, as we will see, the church does exist does exist to edify the saints. But we cannot forget that we are also here to evangelize the lost. When the lost are saved, and when the lost are saved, we cannot forget to disciple them. It is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. It has to be both. Let me put it this way. We live in a world with many, many undeniable problems. People starve. Babies are murdered in the womb. Men beat their wives and desert their families. Women turn to prostitution to support themselves. Men watch pornography. Teens become drug addicted. Teens rebel against their parents. Politicians cheat. Dictators rise. Governments fail. Cultures clash. Of course, I could go on and on. But here's the truth. I want you to get this. The church is not one of many solutions. It's not one of many solutions. It is the only solution to these problems. You might say, well, what about the government? Doesn't the government exist to deal with these problems? The Apostle Paul teaches that the government has two primary functions, primary functions in Romans 13. The government has been established to punish evildoers, 
as his minister and has been established to tax its citizens, citizenries to do just that. That's, that's the function of the government. Now you might say, well, what about parachurch organizations? You know, church, organizations that exist outside the church. I'm not against them. I'm not against them. But I'm going to submit to you that these exist because the local church has failed in its purpose. They exist because the local church is not doing as it as its functions, as it's supposed to function. Primarily in this age, I hope. I mean, if I'm stepping on your toes, I hope that you'll pray about this. But primarily in this age, Christ has chosen to work through His church to build His kingdom. And as such, each church is a little outpost in enemy territory. And it is imperative then. If that's the case, it is imperative that, that each church understand its God-given purpose and to, to, and, and to carry it out. If we do not do so, we're doomed to fail. Right? If we don't carry out the commander's instructions, if we, don't, if we don't carry out what our Lord Jesus Christ has said about the church, we are doomed to fail, or at least fall well short of what He intended for us. Well, beloved, he didn't leave us uninformed about the purpose of the church. The scripture clearly lays out the purpose and centrality of the local church. Christ is doing a grand work in this world through his church. And he gets all the glory for this while we get to join them on join him on that grand stage. And we receive the benefits. We must understand that the church, the local church, exists to bring glory to God. Just like the rest of the world, right? But the church does so in a transcendent way. Again, Tim Talley puts it this way. When we understand that the local church exists by God and for God, we see that God's glory, not the needs of saved or unsaved people, is meant to be the ultimate determining factor for all that the church does. The church does emphasize reaching the lost, and it does emphasize edifying the saved, but it does so in ways that are honoring to God and consistent with His will. It ensures that both the method and the message of the church bring glory to His name. End quote. So with this as our backdrop, let us quickly look at God's purpose for His church. We believe that Christ promised to build His church for three main purposes. Three main purposes. We exist as a church for His worship, for our edification, and for evangelism. Let's look at point number one quickly for His worship. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Stop right there. You think that we are the first church to struggle with these things? Think again. It's, it's been from the beginning. 
these vices have been getting in the way of the church from the beginning, but that does not change our purpose in the church. But Peter goes on to say, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Peter is saying, let me stop there, Peter is saying that if you've been saved, then you must long for the word of God. Like a baby longs for his mother's milk. This is a beautiful picture then of how Christians are to grow in Christ. We grow through the nourishment of the Word. Therefore, we can't overstate, based on these verses, we can't overstate the importance of coming to church and hearing the Word of God taught and explained. Verse 4, And coming to Him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now let me stop there. We can't tease out every truth of this passage, but I, I want you to see that, that Peter pictures the believer being built up with other believers in Christ. Christ was rejected by men, yet He is precious in the sight of fa- the Father. Now notice, Christ becomes the cornerstone, and we'll see the importance of that in a moment, but notice that that Peter says we are living stones, plural, plural. Christ is the cornerstone of the temple of God, and we make up the building blocks of the house of God. As Christians then, we do not exist on our own. We cannot exist on our own, independent of other Christians. As such, we are useless. We are useless if we act independent of Him or other Christians. At the Temple Mount, we have a brother and sister that are going to be going there this this week. Pray for them, Brother Marty and Susan. But at the Temple Mount, you'll see rubble piles where the walls of the Temple have been destroyed. The stones in the piles are still stones, right? But they are useless laying on the ground. Useless. They're totally useless. But they become strong when they're part of the wall. When we come to Christ and join with other Christians, we become strong together. We are built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now, by way of reminder... The primary purpose of the priesthood was to what? Worship the worship of God. To lead the worship of God. So, then we become those who lead the worship of God. And we do so when we come together. When we come together as a church. We, as you sit here today, as you listen to me preach, as you sing together, as we pray together, we're raising up our worship to God. It really is a, an extension of our lives. Peter says that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Primarily, these are acts of service in Christ through the Holy Spirit which amount to our worship. So our whole entire lives become uh, an extension of worship to our Creator as we serve one another, as we serve the Lord, in, as we serve Him in love. Look at verse 6. 
For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. For those, But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. Again, Again, going back to that idea of the temple being built, the stones, and you have the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, and we're the, the living stones that are, that are built up around him. But he, became, he was, the builders rejected it. A stone of stumbling, verse 8, and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they, were, they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they are also appointed. Jesus was rejected as the Messiah by His own people. Peter says they stumbled because of their disobedience to the Word of God. They, they knew He was coming. But they rejected Him. But this is what I want to get to. This is the, this is the important verse. I mean, all of it's important, but this is what I want to focus on. But you, who's, who's He talking to? The church, right? Believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Beloved, here it is. This is it. This is, what, this is the primary purpose of the church. This is it. We, we were saved. We were made a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Peter keeps stacking these descriptions up But here's the point. You should be absolutely in awe of what God has done and what He is doing. Brethren, He has called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. And I know, I know that sometimes, I said it earlier, I think when I was praying, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget the darkness. Sometimes we forget where we're from because we've been part of the church for so long we think that this is the way life is. But brethren, it's not how life is for 95% of the people out there. Maybe more. According to Peter, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He did this purpose statement so that you would proclaim His excellencies. In other words, you have been saved to worship Him. Most assuredly, this speaks to us of us as individuals, but we cannot, do not miss the corporate aspect of what God has done for us in Christ. These descriptions depict us as a corporate entity. They describe the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Beloved, the church, the local church, which is the expression of, the local expression of the church, is primarily here to worship to worship, to worship Him. Let's take a quick look at the second of the three main purposes for the church. We exist as a church for our edification. Quickly turn to Ephesians 4. Verses 7 through 10 is a packed paragraph. We don't have time to to unpack it. But ultimately what we need to know about 
those verses is that Christ has conquered. Christ has conquered at the cross. Through His life, He has conquered at the cross, and he has, he has conquered the grave. And what's happening here in these verses is that He is a leading a victory march from the grave all the way to heaven. And you can see that if you cross-reference Psalm 68, it's, it's a victory march of God. That, that, beloved, this is, this is war language. But He's won the war. We we saw it in in the sorry we listened or we sang it in the song it, this victory march we're part of a victory march and we are the spoils of of the victory we're the spoils of battle and in doing so and winning the victory he won the right to give gifts to his people starting in verse 11, "...and He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building of the body of Christ." Again, there's much here, but ultimately He has given these specific gifts to His people for the equipping of the church. Now, more importantly to us, He has given pastors and teachers to the body of Christ, the church, for the equipping of the saints. Now, speaking of the context of the local church... There's more to it than that, but we'll, we'll just leave it at that. He gave the pastors and teachers to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints. Now this word equipping was a medical term used of setting a bone or more generally restoration. Now, get this. A man with a broken leg is not fit to walk around, right? So that bone has to be set and put in place so that that leg is fit for service. The work of the pastor teacher then, or the pastor and teacher, is to train and disciple the saints so that they are fit for service. To, to, to restore, to set in order. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple of Christ. And if you are a disciple of Christ, then it follows that you are a learner. Beloved, Christians are to humbly learn and grow so that they might serve Christ in a greater way. Every Christian... Every Christian. That doesn't mean every Christian is going to be here preaching, or every Christian is going to be an evangelist, or every Christian is going to be whatever. But every Christian should be growing and learning so that they can serve Christ in a greater way. As such, there is no such thing. No such thing as a Christian who's stunted in their growth. It, it can't exist. Your background doesn't matter. Your means doesn't matter. Whether you are from the the suburbs or from the inner city, you come to Christ to grow in Him to be edified. Now, we will see more of this in the coming weeks, but this is the reason for our theme verse, Colossians 1.28. We proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You come to church to worship Him, and to learn about Him, to be edified. And then you serve in whatever capacity you can serve in. And beloved, I'm going to say say something else. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not serve in the local church. God has designed the church to worship Him and and to be for Christians to be edified 
so that the church might serve Him. Christians are to never stop growing. They're never to stop serving. You know, it just, I, it just, just popped in my mind. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata, we are all aware of her. She's been in a wheelchair, paraplegic, for most of her life. All of her Christian life. But there are very few people that I can mention or I know that have done more to serve the church. And she's in a, she can't hardly do anything, physically that is. I, it, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. No excuse. And all of this, according to Scripture, should happen in the context of the local church. I don't mean that necessarily. What I mean is, is that we need to be tied to a local church. That doesn't mean we don't have missionaries that get sent out. That doesn't mean that that happens, right? We equip those men to go out, right? To go out and to, to, to serve as missionaries. But they should be equipped by the, and sent by the local church. That's how God has designed it. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write this. It is in the family of God that I am able to care and to be cared for, love and be loved, forgive and be forgiven, rebuke and be rebuked, encourage and be encouraged, all of which is essential to the task of being a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. Now, if you go on and read the rest of uh, Ephesians 4, 13 through 13 through 16, what you find out is that we, that we do this until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the fullness which belongs to Christ. In other words, we won't stop this process until Christ comes. You know, the shampoo bottle says, has the instructions, lather, rinse, repeat, right? Lather, rinse, repeat. That's what we're going to do. We're going to lather, rinse, repeat. We're going, to, we're going to go out. We're going to evangelize the lost. We're going to bring them in. We're going to edify them. And we're going to send them back out so that they can evangelize the lost. That's how it works. And all in, the, in all of this, we're going to worship God. Let's take a quick look at the last of three main purposes for the church. Evangelism. Evangelism. Matthew 28, we read it earlier. If you want to turn there. Matthew 28, we read it. It's the, the mission of the church, mission statement of the church. Christ has given all authority, has been given all authority in heaven and earth, and by his authority we are to make disciples of the nations. Some of us are called to go to those nations. Some of us are, are called to go to our neighbors. Some of us are called to go to our family. Some of us are called to go to our co-workers. But while we all must go. We're called to go. In reality, going is not the primary command here. It's really as we go. In our going. It's a, it's a participle. In our going. The primary command is to make disciples. The primary command is to make disciples. It's important for us to understand because it doesn't matter where we're at. We are to make disciples. Notice that we're not just to make disciples, but we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to, and we are to teach them all that Christ has commanded. Again, that edification. 
So we are to make more worshipers for God by proclaiming the good news of Christ to all who are in our paths. And we are to equip them for the work of service so that they will go out and make more disciples. As, as we said earlier, it's a beautiful picture which we will continue to the end of this age. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Beloved, these purposes, we exist as a church for His worship, for our edification and for evangelism, all bring glory to God. But they exist all together. They exist all together. Now there may be some of you that are gifted more in, other, in, in certain ways. There may be some of you that are gifted in, in evangelism. Maybe some of you that are gifted more to go out and be missionaries. There may be some of you that are gifted to teach. There may be some of you that are gifted to serve in the body. But we all work together as a body doing all these things so that we might do what? Bring glory to God. In this way, beloved, the local church is God's plan for the redemption of this world. It is God's plan for the redemption of this world. And as such, the local church is truly the hope. It is truly the hope of this world. And next week, and over the next few weeks, we will see, we begin to see how GBC will participate in that plan. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Praise you. We're thankful for all that you've taught us. We're, we're thankful that you've placed us here, the local body. Father, may we exist to worship you. May we exist to edify the saints. And may we exist to evangelize the lost. May we do all three to your glory. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.